We did couples counseling like three different times. The patterns never changed. So, so eventually I signed up for Carolyn Mesa's certification program in archetypes because I've always been fascinated by archetypes for very many years. So I signed up for her program and one evening I was home with the kids, right? They were playing. It was right before bedtime. And I put on one of these videos and the woman in her training video started talking about the victim archetype about how the victim says, I'm not allowed to have this thing. And you start talking to all your friends about um, why your life is so hard. And all your friends say, wow, that's really a shame. I'm so sorry. Life is so hard. And then you feel a little bit better. And then she started talking about bringing this warrior quality in. And I just thought, oh my God, this is what I'm doing. This is exactly what I'm doing. I'm being a victim and the path out is developing these boundaries. It might seem so simple to anyone listening, but to me, it was like a lightning bolt. Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. We are here for episode number two in the Archetype series. We're going to talk today about the victim. And if you didn't catch the last episode, we're talking about the four survival archetypes, according to Carolyn Miss. And we talked about the child on the last episode. The victim is what we're going to get into So I think we definitely need to let you all know that sometimes we have this idea of what a victim is, and we want to cover and talk about what the truth about that is, because your perception of what the victim is, is probably not 100% accurate. I am here with Carolyn Wallace, and she, I'll I'll let her tell you what it is that she does. I'm so thrilled to be having these conversations because I think they're important aspects of each one of ourselves to start to look at and really gain greater understanding. So Carolyn, can you tell everybody what it is that you do? Yeah, thank you for having me. First of all, I am a certified archetypal consultant, and that means that I went through Carolyn Mace's training and I learned all about her archetype work and how she presents this work. She's written a book called Sacred Contracts and she has a training, I think it's of the same name, Sacred Contracts. So that's where I, I'm getting this information that I am presenting today because I'm certified now to, to teach her work. As you said, there are four survival archetypes according to Carolyn Mace and they are the victim, the child, 
the prostitute and the saboteur. And here we're here today to talk about the victim archetype. And it's one I know really well. Let's just say. You know this one very well. There's a story in there. And you know everybody that watches Be the Wolf. We love the stories because we get to see ourselves in your story and we get to learn a little bit about ourselves. One thing I know I love, if there's a book or a movie that I really love, I love to watch it or read it 10 years later because I'm going to see a different aspect. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's such the powerful thing. Like I could tell you a story and you'll get one thing out of it one day and a year later you'll have a total different uh aha. And what's one of the reasons why I love stories so much is because it's, it's a way that whatever we're trying to show or demonstrate can meet you where you're at. Right. It's about the different levels of consciousness and how they operate. It's very similar to how archetypes work. When you come at a story with a different level of consciousness than you had before, it still holds a lot for you. Yeah. Those classic, classic stories will do that. So, yeah. Just like if you have a dream journal and you write down your dream and then a year later go back to the same dream, it'll have all It'll have new significance for you, new meetings, deeper levels than it did even the first time. So, Well, and that is so powerful because in the work that I do, we do a lot of work transforming the subconscious mind. And one of the things, right, the subconscious mind is all about, all shows up in your dreams. Oh my goodness, I have a tickle in my throat. I'm going to have a big cough. I'm warning everybody. <laughs> okay. We're going to drink some tea. Okay. So back to the subconscious dream thing is because we're transforming the subconscious mind, your dreams often will get crazy. So I always ask people, well, what's different in the dream than how it would have been in the past? And so we get to see those shifts. And so I love that idea of looking back at the dream journal because you can see what was happening you maybe progressed through whatever conflict you were trying to solve in that dream. And looking back at it, you can see it much more clearly what was happening there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. So the victim. Okay. Now tell us in Carolyn Mises' work, what is the archetype of the victim? So the victim is an archetype that we develop in our childhoods because we need to somehow survive our childhoods. So we become, you know, given, given the right circumstances, people come out of their childhoods with more victim or less victim, depending on what your environment was, because we're not supposed to be, if, if, our, if our caregivers didn't want us to be big and strong and outspoken, there's some level of victim that had to happen so that we would still be taken care of by them. So as an adult, the victim shows up in us when we kind of walk around feeling like there's some oppressive force on top of us that just will not let us have a certain thing. Like some people say, oh, I'll never be able to have a loving relationship or I've never, you know, the universe has never given me a loving relationship or I really 
struggle with money and I've never felt like I'll be, I'll, I'll never make good money or I'll never be able to lose these however many pounds someone wants to lose. That's just how I am and it will never change. And so we kind of get small and whiny and then we tell our friends how hard this part of our life is and our friends kind of get on board and said, oh yes, that really is a terrible thing. I'm so sorry. And then that's how we get some powers when we get people kind of on our side to bolster the victim part of us. And I can say this with confidence because I know this really, really well, especially from my past. And then the other side of the victim then is when we do get a little bit bigger and we blame other people for things like, oh, it was my ex's fault. That's it. That was my boss's fault. They undermined me. And now I'm this big victim. Or when you like just, yeah, when you get big and you yell at someone, then you become the victimizer. And so both are shadow sides of the victim. We're talking about victim and its shadow side. Now, there is a beautiful progression and evolution of the victim archetype that we can talk about. But right now, I wanted to explain how the victim shows up in its shadow side. So are you saying that the victim is not only the person that's like, woe is me, all this stuff was done to me, but it's also the person that's like, I'm going to fight back and do this stuff to other people. Yep. Because I feel powerless, basically. Exactly. So yeah. it's the bully and the bully's victim. Yep. The victim and the victimizer. You can say it anyway. Yes. Okay. Mm hmm. See, I told you guys playing the victim is not what you think. <laughs> okay. So I was seeing my brain is going off ding, 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 ding about all these different roles I play. And I, I want to put this one out there because I think most everybody that's had a terrible job can relate. And I think a lot of people can relate to this idea that You've, got, you've gained some of your best friends through your worst jobs. And it's because you all get together after work and go to happy hour or wherever it is, and you complain about work. And that's how the bonding happens. And so you're bonding yeah. over these terrible things. And I don't know if you'll notice that years later, you often, especially if you're doing work and evolving in yourself, you don't end up having too many of those friends unless you're still in that cycle where you're constantly complaining about, oh, my job now. Could you like wait till you hear what my boss did this week or or this just the same way with relationships and love too, right? How many of you get on the phone or in person and like, oh my God, why he did this and this and this and what does it mean? What do you think he said? What are you? Oh, well, you think that's bad. Well, wait till you hear what George did to me. And like back and forth and you're spiraling and and thing is that you all need to know outside of the whole victim thing that complaining spiral that like feeding each other that loop of the complaining about how terrible things are you are burning neural pathways in your brain to create cycles of toxic stress chemicals in your body every time you talk about that stuff you relive it your whole body relives it 
and it creates chaos in your nervous system. It makes you feel like you're not safe. There you go. And so what someone needs to do if they're feeling, if, if they choose to evolve it, I mean, people can stay in those kinds of patterns if they want to. They have all true. They, they can do that if they want to. But if you're starting to feel like this victim pattern, which is what happened to me when I was in my, in my marriage, then I am now not in any longer. If you start to say like, boy, I'm getting really tired of this pattern and I'd really like for something to change, what the victim has to do is to take on the energy of, of a warrior, like a warrior quality. And a warrior is, does, is not a victimizer. It's different than that. A warrior in this sense, there's other definitions, but in this sense is someone who can stand very grounded and firm on the earth. Like think of mountain pose in yoga, but mm -hmm. then you bring your hands up in front of you and you put your two hands forward, like as a barrier, as a boundary. And oh, you say, I will not allow that to happen to me anymore. So you either, if there's some injustice coming from outside of you, from a boss, you can simply say, I'm going to create a boundary here. I'm going to say, no, this will not continue. I will not allow this to happen anymore. And the, one of the most important things is that, yes, you can do that for an external circumstance, but maybe it's even more important if you do it with your own thoughts. So what if I'm sitting there having a thought, I'm doing the dishes, I'm feeling victimized because I don't have enough money to pay the bill, whatever it is, and poor me, and who am I going to call on for help with the situation? And I can put the brakes on that and tell myself to, to, to basically knock it off. Where are my boundaries? How do I want to feel in this situation? What would the energy of a warrior feel like? How can I own my own power and my own strength without attacking anyone else and without spiraling in that victim mode, I'm not allowed mode? So do you see you're going from saying the victim says I'm not allowed to have this thing to I will not allow this to continue. So there's two very different ways of, 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 approaching, of approaching the same problem with two very different mindsets. I think when you talk about the warrior in this sense, I, of course, see all the martial arts movies of the, you know, the typical story, right? The karate kid story where it's like the good sensei teaches that you don't fight unless you have to. That it's like you learn how to fight so that if you need to hold that boundary, you can. Mm -hmm. But you don't become the victimizer. You don't become the bully with your new power. So moving from the victim, which is powerless, and the bully is also powerless. That's why they've got to hurt other people. They feel that powerless. Right. To the warrior where you have the power, but you only use it if you absolutely have to. Have the grounding to protect right. yourself. You're very confident in your ability to protect yourself either from outside forces or most especially from your own internal negative processing sometimes. And I think that's so important because you all probably don't know this, but it, if you hear something 400 times, you'll believe it. So if you listen to me say the same things. So if you listen to 400 episodes of Be the Wolf and you hear me say, when we feel good about who we are and what we do, we create joy and elevate humanity. If you hear that 400 times, you'll probably start to believe it. Right. Now, if you are in an emotional state, 
that timeline comes down real quick. It's how people brainwash you, actually. They get you all riled up at a rally and then they drop in that thing that they want you to believe and you believe it just like that. But those words that you're saying to yourself, that inner critic that tells you the things like you're not good enough, mm -hmm. you don't belong, nobody's going to love you ever, right? That's a victim. That's the victim voice. What? Those things, if you've said those two things to yourself 400 times, and I know most of you have, then you believe them and you become what you believe. So how then will we move away from that kind of thinking and what are we going to move toward? How are you going to imagine that you're standing up just a little bit taller and your spine is a little bit straighter and your, your feet are rooted down into the earth? And you're going to put your hands up and say, I will not allow that to happen. Then what do your thoughts sound like? I guess that would be my question. How are we going to move away from the victimization and toward having boundaries? Well, let's, you have a personal story of using these archetypes to shift your life. And you went from victim to warrior, yes? Yes. And then there's a, a third component of evolving the victim archetype called the guardian of self-esteem. So I can, I can get to that in a minute. I always try to think about how many years ago this was, a number of years ago, maybe five years ago now. I had, my, my kids are older now, but they were young at the time. And I was in a marriage with these two young kids. And there was a lot going on, but basically I was the only adult ever home to take care of these kids. Right. And I also worked full time, but I was the only one ever home, like to do all the, all the things that come with having kids. Like my ex-husband, now he's my ex-husband, was left really early and came home really late and just avoided the whole thing. So, you know, I would say, this doesn't work for me. I don't want to live this way anyway. This isn't fair. And we go to couples counseling. We did couples counseling like three different times. The patterns never changed. So, so eventually I signed up for Carolyn Mesa's certification program in archetypes because I've always been fascinated by archetypes for very many years. So I signed up for her program. And one evening I was home with the kids, right? They were playing. It was right before bedtime. And I put on one of these videos and the woman in her training video started talking about the victim archetype, about how the victim says, I'm not allowed to have this thing. And you start talking to all your friends about um, why your life is so hard. And all your friends say, wow, that's really a shame. I'm so sorry. Life is so hard. And then you feel a little bit better. And then she started talking about bringing this warrior quality in. And I just thought, oh my God, this is what I'm doing. This is exactly what I'm doing. I'm being a victim. And the path out is developing these boundaries. It might seem so simple to anyone listening, but to me, it was like a lightning bolt. It was this huge realization that I was being this and there was a path out. That wasn't just the end of the story that I had to do forever. That right there um, is huge. And it's so, I think one of the reasons people get so spiraled into their negative self-talk and to, is because they don't really think there is a path out or they don't think there is a path out for them. That's exactly right. And I didn't know there was a path out for me. And so what happened was I didn't 
I didn't watch this video and then say, I want a divorce. <laughs> no, I need, I still needed to develop some courage, right? I needed to develop some parts of myself that weren't quite strong enough to say the thing or to do the thing I really knew that I needed to do. So what I first started doing was actually go to the gym. And just going to the gym in itself was a radical act because what this meant was because I had kids like before breakfast and I had to do the daycare and all that drop off and school drop off and school pick up at the end of the day because I was the only functioning adult parent. I had to take time off in the middle of the day, which meant I was had to work fewer hours, which meant that I started making less money. And my husband at the time was not entirely on board with that. Not only that, but then when I was at the gym, I left my cell phone in my locker and I just did my thing. And that also became a point of contention because I wasn't immediately available to pick up the phone whenever he called. So so as I started getting more boundaried and as my body started getting stronger, the more dis, um, the dysfunctional patterns, we were in some kind of an equilibrium that while it didn't really work, it kind of worked. But then when I started shifting the pattern, it became uncomfortable and it became uneasy and it didn't feel as safe. And I don't, it was never physically unsafe at all, but it started to feel like emotionally, like I'm on shaky ground now. When things started to get maybe, a, I want to say a little bit worse before they got better because I had to change who I was being and I had to upset that equilibrium. So over the course of a year then with some hard times and with some a good deal of anxiety because of the shifting of this, I was able to make the changes little bit at a time that I needed to make in order to eventually, a year later, find an apartment, move out, start the divorce process. But it didn't happen overnight. And I want people to hear that too. Like really stepping into your power and having boundaries doesn't mean you snap your fingers and it's done. It can be, can be that, but it can also be a process. And we learn so much in that process during that process. And I think it's really important to understand that when you're talking about drawing boundaries, that you have to learn how to draw boundaries for yourself first. Because if you cannot hold boundaries that you're drawing for yourself, nobody is going to respect a boundary that you're drawing for them. So when you're talking about, oh, I'm going to go to, if you're this person, I'm I'm so fat. I just need to get to the gym. I need to go to the gym. Oh, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow. And tomorrow comes and you don't go to the gym. Well, you drew a boundary for yourself that would potentially help you get to where you want to go. And you didn't hold it. I'm going to wake up at this time. But yet you hit snooze for, you know, an hour. You're not holding these boundaries that you're drawing for yourself. You're not respecting your own boundaries. And if you cannot respect your own boundaries, nobody else is going to respect your boundaries. So what's so powerful in your story is that you did it and you held it, even when somebody else from the outside tried to bully you into not, I'm assuming it was kind of a bullying conversation. You're not making as much money. You need to not do this anymore. I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't terrible bullying, but it was, yeah, it wasn't comfortable. Let's just. Right. So, so, but you had to hold those boundaries that you held for yourself. Yes. You drew for yourself because ultimately this was about you getting stronger. And that's exactly it. I mean, maybe some people can change other people. I was never going to change that other person. I had to change myself. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing when you're looking to make a change and move out of that victim, maybe you start with something little, but hold that boundary. That's maybe, right. maybe if it's strength or whatever, maybe you do what I do when you're brushing your teeth. I, when I brush my teeth, I do squats. <laughs> it's like a great way to add something, but it's an easy daily ritual tied to something I already do. So it's a small and easy boundary. So start with something small and build that strength because the warrior, like, how many times did did the karate kid wax on and wax off before he had the strength to to block a strike? Some time to develop that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then the guardian of self-esteem comes at the end of that trajectory. And when we talk about the different levels of consciousness, I, I can explain some of that. If someone wants to come talk to me about that individually, it's a little bit too much for just this one podcast. But the guardian of self-esteem is able to know for a fact that they can protect themselves and look back on their actions and know that they were all in integrity and know that they did not harm anyone in the process. It doesn't mean everyone had to be on board and like the boundaries that they had. It does not mean that at all. It means you didn't become a victimizer, that you can look back on the ways that you behaved and feel proud of yourself and feel good about that moving forward. And the guardian of self-esteem is just so, so lovely to think about that being just the, the flip side of the victim. So when I say sometimes our superpowers are come from the places that where we feel most ashamed of ourselves, that's where that comes from. If you're so ashamed, maybe part of you is ashamed of being stuck in victim mode in some area of your life. Well, your superpower is going to be learning how to hold boundaries that you needed because of this issue and then stepping into your self-esteem because of it. And then that becomes your superpower. But you might have not done that without the thing that had you disempowered in the first place. So we use whatever is in our life to make these changes. Yeah. Become empowered just using the material of our own lives. Well, and it's that, right, going back to that pendulum swing, it's like on this side, way over here, we're the victim. On this side, we're the victimizer. And that place in the middle, that like the middle way, (laughs) as in some schools of thought, Mm -hmm. is that place of the warrior where you are strong enough to handle whatever comes at you and you get to do it with integrity. And you get to honor because when you do things that are outside of your core values, like hurting other people, and I, I believe that at our core, we all share that value that we only hurt, we don't hurt other people if we can help it is when you, when you do things like become the victimizer, become the bully, you are damaging your self-esteem. And that's where it's important to know what your triggers are, to know what you're trying to move away from and what you're moving toward. So we're moving away from feeling victimized. We're moving toward having boundaries and to be aware of what our triggers are that might just want to suck us right back in, right? Okay, so before we talk about the triggers, because I know everybody wants to know, well, what are the triggers that will suck us back in? Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can work with you, and then all of those good things. You can find me at yourradiantlife.net. You can email me at carolyn at 
yourradiantlife.net. And I am offering even just one one-off sessions, one session at a time, if people just want to get a taste of the work. And if people want to do more, I have a whole big 90-day program that um, if they want to find out more about that, you can certainly set up a discovery call. We can talk about it. But sometimes it helps people just to do one or two sessions just to get started, just to see if the work is right for them. Awesome. Awesome. And and if you are feeling like you're the victim, like somebody is bullying you, you've got to understand. I know a lot of people are in this place of, oh, self-care, self-care. I'm just going to self-care away all this stress that I'm dealing with at work because my boss is a big bully. And the thing is, is You've got to know that doing a lot of self-care can actually make your work stress worse. And there's one thing that really works and you can access this free guide I have for you all that's called Three Reasons Self-Care Makes Career Stress Worse. And the one thing that works, you can get that at elevatefreegift.com. So open up your browsers, you guys. Type in if you want to work with with Caroline you, Type in yourradiantlife.net. And if you want this free gift so you can understand why self-care is making your work stress worse, type in elevatefreegift.com and get all of that. And we're going to get back to the triggers. Okay, so how do we recognize the triggers that we're sliding into the victim or the victimizer? Well, I think that they're as individual as we are individuals. But whenever you're in a place where you're leaking power, where you're feeling disempowered, if you're feeling disempowered and unhappy, there's some part of you that's in victim mode. And how do we draw on the energy of the warrior? You know, Carolyn May says, you can tell a story three times. I think she says this. You tell a story three times. If you have some a story that you're not happy about, you tell it from the perspective of, of the victim, for example, the lower level of consciousness. And then you tell it again from the empowered place, which in this case, what we're talking about would be the warrior. And then you tell it again from a higher level of consciousness, which would be the guardian of self-esteem and how you felt proud of yourself. So don't stay stuck in the victim. Don't tell your story more than once or twice from that place. Mm. A more elevated place. Where is your power? How can you tap into that power? And then the guardian of self-esteem would know how to create, just like what you're saying, a ritual around how to stay in their power. Because life will always try to knock us down. I think that's what life is supposed to do. We don't stay in our higher levels of consciousness all the time. We're always reverting back. And then we have to like, oh gosh. But as we get better at it and we're practiced at it, we can more quickly recognize it, step into our power, and then stop, stop the negative pattern. At the better we get at. One thing, that, one thing that you said that really struck me. So my big trauma that happened when I was little, I was four and a half years old. And I'll just do the sh real short version. I basically, my best friend was a Vietnam vet. He was a heroin junkie. And we used to hang out all the time. My mom was not paying much attention. And so... I basically, the big thing that happened is I held his hand while he let go of his life from an overdose. And for when I, when I remembered this trauma, because it was so big that my subconscious like buried it deep 
And I, of course, kept playing it over and over and over. And it was like, oh, this is the reason why all of these things. And and yes, it created a lot of patterns for sure. But I kept just like replaying it, replaying it, replaying it. So like I said earlier in the show, I'm burning those, like all of those chemicals. I'm reliving that trauma over and over and becoming more and more the victim. And I, that's how I felt inside. And then I had this beautiful moment in meditation when you taught when you talked about looking at it from an empowered place, telling the story from an empowered place, he and I had this very special loving relationship. It was full of joy. It was full of fun. And, you know, as one of the like evidences of that is when, you know, his last words where he looked up at me and said, Jenea, you are magic. And so when I was able to see this, when I'd done enough healing around the the trauma of it, when I was able to see this, I was looking at it from way up above in outer space. I was in meditation. I was looking down and I saw, wow, here is this beautiful, loving goodbye that was so full of love. It was a gift, wasn't it? It was a gift. Yeah. And it's funny because I can talk about the trauma that happened and I don't ever get teary-eyed because the emotions, all of that is processed. When I talk about the gift of the loving goodbye, I get teary-eyed because it's this well of gratitude. And so that, I'm going to guess that is part of what you're talking about moving. The guardian of self-esteem is right there. Yes, yes. He left you with a legacy to be magic and a gift and kind of a mission. And it sets you on your path that you're on today. And what a what a better way to tell that story than the victim side of that story. Right. Even though, so the guardian of self-esteem can hold it all. We're not letting go of the trauma necessarily. We're not forgetting it because without it, it wouldn't have made you who you are today. But right. we're not staying stuck in the energy of that side of things. Yeah. So yeah. what what's a good when we think about work, what is a good situation where somebody's playing the victim at work? And so are they playing a victim because there's dynamics with coworkers, because they have too much work, because they're not getting paid enough? I guess it's all of it, really, right? All of the pieces, the overloaded work, the the bullying boss, the condescending coworkers, the impossible workloads. And I guess you're, it's boundaries. You've got to draw the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. And if the environment won't respond, I mean, hopefully with enough boundaries and enough communication, you can, you can shift things at work. Like when I was telling my ex-husband, well, we need to go to couples, couples counseling to try to fix things. That was like my first mode. I was really hoping that we could fix things. When that didn't work, I had to make the changes. So I guess that's what I would tell someone who's at work. It's like, you know, try all the things. Try to make your situation better. Where are your boundaries? Speak to the people who have the power to help make those changes alongside of you, right? If someone's harassing you at work, you have very strong boundaries that that's absolutely not going to continue to happen. And if that outside environment will not shift, then you're going to have to shift yourself. 
Yeah. And may mean leaving the position. I don't know. I don't know everyone's exact situation, but it would just be, uh, you only have power over yourself ultimately. Right. Um, and that's such the big thing that people are spending so much time trying to control everybody else, trying to change everybody else. And this, I see this every time my, co my clients come to me, they are, they see things that could be done better. They're trying to make things better, but nobody's responding. They're because they always say yes, everybody dumps their workload on them. Right. So, so then who is responsible for that? Because they're right. always saying yes and they can't say no. Right. Who's doing that? They are themselves. Yeah. So what if you said no next time? And yeah. And what if that was really, really scary to say no? And that's the thing. It is like, I know this because I unwind these emotional triggers in people's nervous system. Like I take this stuff out of the nervous system because when you're trying to say no and in your mind, right, you were talking about survival archetypes. That's right. In your mind, it feels like you're going to die if you say no. Right. And what you don't realize in, is that it is because we believe at a subconscious level, we're still looping back into that childhood version of ourselves right. where if I don't do what I'm told, they will throw me out and I will not survive on my own because I'm four years old. That's where this stuff comes from, these triggers. And when you have them, you know, the boss comes and tells you to do something. It is just like your parents that your your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference. Your subconscious mind is like authority figure telling me what to do. I have to do it no matter what or else I will be thrown out. That's right. And so it literally is life or death, the nervous system and why it's so important to do the healing work so that you can say, I can get to that tomorrow, but I can't get to that today. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always mean, and that's exactly right. And that's exactly what someone should do. And it doesn't always mean, which is the really scary part, that the boss is going to respond really well to that. It could be that they don't, but it does not mean you compromise your, your boundaries. And now, now we're getting a little bit into the prostitute archetype, which we'll talk about at a later date. I know that's the next one. I love how it just, we just yeah. flowing from one right into the next. And you all, if you're listening, you're going to have to wait a week. Unless it's way forward into the future, then you could just, you could binge all four episodes of the archetype series all at once. <laughs> okay, so what would be the big tip? that you would give somebody to move from the victim archetype into the warrior that can draw those healthy boundaries. Ooh, I have one thing I have to say about boundaries, but you talk first about what tip would you say? I would say what kind of energy do you want to bring? I mean, a warrior energy is one thing, and that's great if that's the energy you want to bring in. But like, ask yourself, do you know of someone whether it's a, an actor or, a, or a, a movie character or who can you 
what, who can you model your energy after, if that's helpful? Like, what's your intention? Who do you want to be like? And if this is just an example, no one has to do this. But if you know someone with really strong boundaries who would never, never put up with anybody's crap, what would that feel like to just imagine you could embody that energy for a little while? And if that's your intention, see if you can create a ritual around it where you, you maybe the first half hour of your day, you get up in the morning and you become that person as, as, as much as you're able for the first 30 minutes of your day before you let it go and just see how that might change. I Um, I, love that. Yeah. I love that because it gives your nervous system a sense that you've already been there. So when you get there and when you're trying to embody that in maybe a stressful situation, it's familiar to your nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so like we all know you, you could learn a million tools how to do the thing, but when you're really worked up, you can't access them because you're really worked up. But when you practice them, when you don't necessarily need them, your brain has and your nervous system has so much more easy access to them that you can really like grab onto them. I think depending on the situation, like as I think about some like powerful women models, like Tina Turner would be a really good one for certain situations, maybe not every situation. Mm -hmm. Dolly Parton would be another one, I think, because she's very strong, but she's soft. Yeah. And you've got Michelle Obama, Mm -hmm. so many of them. And the one thing I wanted to say about boundaries, and this is really important because we talk about, everybody talks about, oh, I'm getting better with my boundaries. I have to draw some boundaries. This person is getting out of control. And it's always, it always feels contracting. It feels not easy. It feels like a hard thing to do. And the reason it's so hard is because you're drawing them after somebody has already crossed your natural boundary. A boundary should be set when it feels neutral. Mm. So if I say to you, like we got on this call today earlier, and I said, okay, well, we're going to get on the call. I'm going to do a quick introduction. I'm gonna, you're going to introduce yourself, and we're going to dive into the things, blah, 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 blah. So I drew the boundaries of how this podcast was going to go. And I did it when it felt neutral versus just jumping in and then like, oh my gosh, something went out of order. And now I have to be like all up in arms because she didn't do it the way I wanted her to, but I never drew the boundary in the first place. The clarity. So we think of boundaries as drawing these hard lines, but they're not hard lines when they're set before there's ever an issue. When you treat yourself well, you're showing people the boundaries that you expect. Mm -hmm. When you hold your own boundaries, you're showing the boundaries that people should respect. You know, people, some people will push back because they just, there are some people that will do that. But generally speaking, You know, we hear that thing like, treat yourself the way you want other people to treat you. The beauty of that is you're drawing your boundaries. 
you're showing people where your boundaries are. If you talk down on yourself all of the time, you're showing people that your boundaries be to be treated that way. And of course, then you're the one that the boss is going to dump something on at the last minute when the boss, maybe she wouldn't dare give it to someone else with really strong boundaries. Right. She's not going to give it to me. <laughs> she would have given it to me 10 years ago. Yeah. Give it all to me. I'll I'll give it all. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. For that little ritual, that's something people can do. I say a little ritual, but actually can be a life-changing thing. Yeah. And it's it's backed by science, you guys. There's like if you're any of you are familiar with Joe Dispenza's work, one of the things that he does, it, he has people do a walking meditation where they embody who it is that they need to be to create the kind of life that they want yeah live and so the more you practice it if you go on a daily walk practice your tina turner yes oh that's yes that's exactly what i would love people to come away with and and when it starts to feel natural in your body it becomes easy to draw those boundaries good and then you can walk through life with the self-esteem that that no one's going to mess with you you can protect yourself Absolutely. I love this. I can't wait for our next conversation. And we have to wait. (laughs) Caroline, thank you so much for sharing your insight and these powerful archetypes that we can use to move forward in our lives more powerfully. Thank you for sharing your story about your marriage and moving through to your own world into the protector of the self-esteem as the guardian of the self-esteem yeah and remember if you all like open up those browsers right now (laughs) connect with caroline at your ringgetlife.net and get that free guide for the career stress for the self-care making the career stress worse Ah, get that at elevatefreegift.com. And remember, everybody, when we feel good about who we are and what we do, we create joy and elevate humanity. Thank you for being here today, Caroline. Thank you for having me, Jim. All right, we'll see you all later. Everybody be the wolf. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be the Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.